0: Hello everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Techansive I'm Sean Dubrovac from Avrio Institute. And I'm Ross Rubin at Reticle Research. This week we had big news coming out of Amazon, always uh, big news coming out of Amazon, and we don't mean that uh, Jeff Bezos is traveling to space. Uh, what we're talking about is Alexa. And we saw that uh, this week was the essentially developers conference for Alexa. Amazon really highlighting some new developments to drive greater development on the platform to really help developers monetize, in some ways, their experience on the platform. Ultimately, it shows that Amazon is very committed to the Alexa platform and looking to expand it uh, to its full potential of being a, a true ambient computing environment. At the same time, I feel like what they're really trying to battle is uh, the the inertia that sets in with a platform like Alexa. People have uh, Alexa devices in their homes and they get used to using them in certain ways. Maybe they ask for the news or they ask for the weather and there's less exploration of the platform potentially than, than they want. Certainly finding new skills and implementing new skills is a constant challenge for a platform like this. And so they're uh, launching new ways to help facilitate greater discovery, and ultimately create a a more uh, attractive environment for developers.
1: Yeah, this is something that we talked about on the podcast uh, really in depth a couple of years ago, the challenges around skill discovery. A lot of those were tied to Alexa really being an audio-only environment. So how do you raise awareness um, in in that sort of environment. And so I think one of the key messages coming out of Amazon this week was that Alexa is really morphing into a multimodal environment. For example, it cited that uh, the Alexa show devices, uh, the smart displays are uh, the fastest growing devices uh, in, in the category. And that's actually not too surprising because the prices are, getting very competitive with the audio only, uh, devices, uh, and, uh, you can do quite a bit much more with them. Uh, and so we, uh, and, you know, Sean, you were, you were kind of an early defender of, of the smart display here on the podcast about what it could bring to, to the experience. And I, I think, uh, your, your argument has been proven out, uh, by, uh, by the market. One of the ways that they're looking to expose more of these skills is by taking advantage of that display uh, and showing more contextual cards to provide suggestions to consumers about the kinds of things that uh, they can do with Alexa. Uh, Something that they also previewed last year that they addressed again was the ability for consumers to define or at least personalize their own Alexa skills. So if I were to say something like Alexa, you know, give me some Romantic mood lighting could follow up with asking. Well, what does that mean? Uh, And then I could further elaborate and say, oh, you know, give the lights a warm hue uh, and uh, you know, set them to 30 degree brightness or something like that and then you know from then on the uh, Alexa would understand uh, what I was uh, what I was talking about uh, also, looking to do a lot more organic skill discovery uh, as people purchase more products that that have uh, these uh, these capabilities uh, in them. Uh, a lot more happening with uh, Alexa on the go in the mobile environment. Uh, they showed an example of uh, being able to uh, send a, uh, a command to a, a Whole Foods as as you were on your way there. Uh, so that when you got to the curbside pickup, you could just say i'm in spot alex i'm on spot seven uh and uh you know the clerk or you know maybe in the future the the drone uh would uh, would come out and and deliver your groceries uh, right uh, right there so uh so yes, yeah, really going far, far beyond uh the uh the smart speaker category that it um uh that it that it uh, gave rise to. Uh, And uh, I I also found, so two other things. One, uh, the opening up of uh, commerce uh, to third parties is really huge. Uh, It's one thing for developers to adopt a platform because it's novel and it has a huge user base. Quite another thing uh, for them to offer support when they can monetize that platform. Uh, And so you know, starting on a relatively limited basis, uh, Amazon is going to allow developers to uh, sell physical goods through Alexa to sell skills themselves uh, as a as a one time purchase uh, and i'm sure we'll see other things uh, materialize uh, and then um, uh, I also you know f- notice sort of a contrast uh, with what we have seen from Google. Uh, in terms of uh, uh, the demonstrations that Google has given recently on its progress in voice, uh, which have really struck me more as very, very cool technology demonstrations uh, and a glimpse of the future, but haven't really been presented in terms of the context of Google Assistant, uh, which I think has gotten a little bit uh, lost in the shuffle uh, at, at Google. Uh, as uh, you know, the company has explored uh, so many directions. Um, it's actually a little bit paradoxical because there are so many uh, work applications. And we've really seen, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, a really big uh, workspace push from Google. Uh, there seems to be an opportunity to roll a lot of this uh, voice-driven ambient intelligence uh, into a lot of those efforts as well. But uh, but overall, you know, real update on the state of Alexa, the progress that Amazon has been making, the uptake, uh, and uh, I would argue the most significant uh, updates to Alexa as a platform uh, that that we've ever seen uh, from uh, from Amazon.
0: It's clear that early efforts were all around uptake and trying to get people to get the devices in their home to try the devices. You saw. Uh, Price points on some of the entry-level Alexa devices and, and Echo devices come in at, at really attractive, very low prices. So you could give them as, you know, ho- holiday gifts. You could make them uh, very inexpensive gifts. And now the next big step for them is to to move to a, a first a, a more ambient computing environment to move away from a a transactional experience which is what it really is right now. Today, I have to ask Alexa to enable skills. I have to ask Alexa for for what I want. And they really want to move it, to your point, Ross, to make it a, a much more natural and intuitive experience and a more ambient experience. And then the other piece is to uh, to create an environment that is very attractive to developers that they will take full advantage of, both the, the audio features of Alexa, but also, as, as you noted, the screen features of Alexa. So consumables. Those are the the physical, being able to sell the physical goods, but then also paid subscriptions or, or in-skill purchases. And I think you are going to see some really interesting applications from some of the, the major brands using Alexa to monetize off voice, I guess, or off app uh, transactions. So we've already seen uh, some suggestions that companies like Domino's and McDonald's will take advantage of the Food skill API to create a more seamless experience where you can uh, move the customer from an Alexa experience into actually making a, a transaction. We've seen them white label Alexa for in the in-vehicle experience, and it looks like they're gonna expand that into other spaces. So I think that's a really interesting opportunity. And I think it's also useful for Amazon and for Alexa because what it will do is it will put more users on the platform which means they have more data in which to really decipher what the person is asking for, what the skills are that that need to be deployed and developed. I think it will help them in uh, discovering new services that Amazon offers. Uh, They talked a little bit about their Alexa replenishment support, so you'll be able to just uh, say that you want more detergent or more other things. This is definitely a space that Amazon has been very interested in and active in they had the, uh, you know, the buttons there for a little while that you would put next to your appliance, like next to the the washing machine or the dryer, and then you could just hit the button and it would automatically order you more detergent or whatever you programmed it to do. They've discontinued those, but I think the idea of having Amazon replenish supply for you is something that they are very interested in, and it's definitely a direction we're moving towards.
1: I was pretty impressed by the partnership uh, announcements. Uh, Sean, to your point, they're, uh, are, they're doing uh, partnerships with brands like uh, Carrier, uh, getting much deeper into the telematics space so that if, for example, an air conditioner needs a new filter, uh, or you know uh, there, there are other household items that need uh, consumable replacements, uh, it will be able to uh, order that automatically. Uh, one of the sort of hands-off transactions that uh, that, that they were touting, uh, we've seen a lot of these in the home automation space. Uh, I, I believe they quoted a statistic that one out of four Alexa uh, actions now take place with no human intervention, uh, certainly after the routines are, are set up. And uh, in terms of uh, the... The the new management uh, coming in, I, I wonder if we're seeing some of the uh, the the early influence of uh, Andy Jassy uh, coming over from uh, Amazon Web Services, where uh, Amazon has been a vendor to uh, the uh, to 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 a whole host of, of companies, uh, and so we're we're really seeing Alexa leverage that way, uh, and of course the the Echo devices for uh, networks like like Sidewalk. Uh, which is basically, uh, you know, a, a wholesale uh, LoRa WAN net- network um, that uh, companies can uh, can buy bandwidth off of. So, um, so, so yeah, uh, reaching out in in a lot of different directions. Uh, also, I, I think another concern uh, as they start getting more aggressive uh, on uh, Alexa as a platform is uh, the, the, the kinds of, uh, of issues that have affected many app stores. Um, you know, what, what will the revenue shares look like? Uh, what will the privacy policies look like? Uh, this is something that's, uh, you know, particularly on privacy, it's something that uh, certainly as of last uh, year, Amazon has started touting as, as a far more significant priority for, for it and for Alexa how do you balance that against the needs of developers or desires of developers to have more data uh, about uh, not only their users but, but potential users as well, especially if you're going to try doing all this cross-pollination to, to expose skills? Uh, in, in some ways, it's a trickier issue than, uh, than the smartphone-based app stores face.
0: I'm excited to see what comes out of this and what companies are able to do. I'm excited to see the integration of Alexa with other platforms, mobile phone or or other experiences we might be doing. Really being able to move some of those interactions offline, I think, is really interesting. I have been a longtime user of, of Alexa, from really from the very beginning. And even with my own use, I see that I kind of fall into a pattern where I'm calling for the same skills or the same routines. I'm using it in kind of the same way. And if I get some new devices and integrate with Alexa, then I integrate them, but it kind of stops there. So really opening it up to new opportunities, I think is a, a really great direction for Amazon to move. In other news this week, we saw that uh, Zoom is making the uh, first billion dollar purchase in its uh, young life. It is acquiring five nine. And uh, really looking to extend its uh, its presence beyond just uh, video conferencing. Uh, Ross, you noted it's uh, it's time now for Zoom to compete with the rest of the world as the world starts to open up and we start to go back to the office, presumably. And uh, you're seeing Zoom take advantage of what is still a, a very high stock price. It's worth noting that this was an all stock deal. So they're using some of that uh, currency to buy potentially companies that will define their future. And this is one of their first big bets in that direction.
1: Yeah, this is really what I would consider their first vertical application. And it, it makes sense. Uh, customer service, we've really seen this evolution from from audio, sometimes really poorly designed uh, IVR applications to chatbots and actually, you know, speaking uh, going, going back to Amazon for a minute I can remember when one of the features that they tried out on the uh, the tablets the fire tablets in the early days was a feature called Mayday that allowed you to access a live human when you needed uh, tech support and, and orientation. Uh, ultimately they, they dropped that feature but uh, as we become more comfortable and the default really becomes more around video, I think that it will, you know, it makes sense for more of the customer service applications to, to move to video. There's uh, certainly value for the company providing the service and being able to see facial cues and expressions and better, you know, in some cases, even for the, uh, for the customer to hold up a product, uh, uh, you know, if it's a, if it's a smaller product that will fit in frame, that's that's having an issue. Uh and uh, and likewise I, I think for the uh for, for the person initiating the call uh because uh I think that you know seeing a face on the other side uh will be more humanizing and uh probably more of a calming presence and uh my suspicion is is that it would really cut down on on some of the you know really uh Vitriol-filled exchanges uh, that uh, that that we sometimes see, um, although I'm sure not completely. uh, But uh, but in any case, it it should uh, serve to humanize it.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with that. Uh, It will be interesting to see how we how we use it, how companies will use Zoom, how they'll integrate video chat with customer uh, service. Your point about being able to physically show a product or, or virtually show a product, if you will, in, in that setting. Uh, I think that's a really interesting approach. And then seeing another human on on the other end will hopefully uh, diffuse some of the uh, strong emotions that happen in, in some of these calls. Uh, we're also seeing Zoom uh,
1: revisit some of these more lifestyle oriented uh, applications uh, that uh, we first heard them talking about more last year uh, one funny uh headline about its recent initiative uh mentioned that zoom is is adding games uh but but not the not the kind you you want to play uh they're really focused more on uh team building uh and uh it kind of plays into or i would say that it's uh certainly complementary to some of these more lifestyle driven activities and zoom life and and offering or or showcasing yoga classes that uh uh that 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 marked some of its uh, early content initiatives so while uh this customer service uh application and, and move into that business uh will likely be uh far more short-term profitable endeavor uh you know this this is really zooms uh, th- this is really their their uh, their play to move beyond commodity video chat?
0: I think the thing here is they're trying to move into a world where they can exist in a hybrid environment you know, or when a work is in-person. So if you go back to the pre-pandemic world, we might have done some team building exercises in an in-person meeting. We might have been part of a work group that uh, was focused on certain things. So for example, uh, there was Some talk that Weight Watchers will eventually be part of this. That was something that was happening already in offices in the offline world. Then when we moved online, my sense is, at least early on, much of that didn't carry into the virtual world. We were focused much more on um, meetings to drive specific actions and, and productivity and we weren't focused on some of the social aspects of the work environment. And that's what a lot of people talk about, the Zoom fatigue, because it was tiring to be in front of a video screen all day. You weren't having some of those uh, light interactions. And so Zoom is is trying to, to attack that head on by offering some of those more social interactions that were taking place in the workplace. And they'll need to offer those as people go back to the office uh, they'll need to have some of those more light social activities built into the, the system if they want to be a viable alternative to an in-person office experience.
1: And uh, I had an in-person experience uh, this week that uh, uh, showed a, an alternative, a much richer alternative to the ubiquitous uh, talking heads that we uh, we encounter all the time. Uh, in doing zoom chats, uh, a company called portal p o r t l uh, developing this uh, life sized uh, video booth about seven feet tall uh, that uh, projects a an image using a transparent lcd uh, that really uh, really provides more more of a sense uh, that somebody is local um, uh, they've they've done all kinds of demonstrations with it they've shown retail applications with it they have all kinds of activation type things there's all sorts of metrics built into the app to uh gather audience feedback and and metrics and uh, for for those kinds of applications but uh the company shared with me that uh a uh, relatively high percentage of their installations uh has been uh in in corporate uh, conference rooms, uh, and that uh, uh, it, it can provide a, a, a much better sense of, of a remote, say, executive uh, being there with the uh, you know with the rest of the team, uh, even if um, uh, even, even if they're they're miles away. Uh, of course, when I when I first heard about this, I thought about uh, the scene in Silicon Valley uh, where uh, uh, Gavin Belson uh, uses a product called the the telehuman uh and because of uh various uh bandwidth issues uh it it sort of you know devolves into into uh a very comedic uh scene uh but uh but this you know at least in in the relatively controlled environment i saw it uh worked worked very well uh you know they ha- they have uh a lot of lights lighting up the box so uh it, it really uh, it really draws attention to it uh, it's certainly not a a true hologram, uh but again uh, because you're seeing the person life size uh, and their full body, uh you can pick up on a lot of cues uh posture uh you can even you know move back and forth, you see kind of the floor moving below them, uh hand gestures uh things that are are just uh much more difficult to to pick up uh, on on a typical Zoom call, and uh, again going back to Google for a minute, uh, they they showed off. We we talked about it on the podcast. This sort of like meeting room environment where you're face to face with someone who's seated, and it's it's much more like it being in person. Uh, and this is just another take on uh, that that kind of um, remote interaction. Uh, that that provides a, a much more something much closer to an in-person experience.
0: And I think we're going to see a lot more of these type of things. Uh, I would argue that the office is not ready for a, a hybrid work environment. It's not built to manage a hybrid workforce, and I think that you're going to see them have to deploy new technologies to really drive the office into the future. if hybrid work really is, what that future looks like. So we're going to see a lot more technologies like this to come. Uh, in our final story of the week, we got greater clarification from Netflix this week on what the future of gaming on Netflix looks like. We talked a lot about this in the last episode of Tech So if you didn't hear it, we encourage you to go back and, and take a listen. Last week when we were discussing it, there was still a lot of uncertainty about what Netflix was going to do for gaming. And now they've made it clear their focus, at least initially, is going to be on mobile gaming. They're going to offer it for free, so no additional charge, at least for now. And uh, it looks like they're really going to go head-to-head with Apple Arcade, which, Ross, in last week's episode, you pointed out, could create a lot of uh, of potential issues and friction there, since Apple restricts apps from being quasi uh, game platforms and, and, uh, and, sh- and uh, stores, essentially.
1: Well, mobile games is, in one sense, low-hanging fruit. Uh, you know, you want to be on mobile anyway, and if you're going for a mobile-first game design, uh, at least you avoid a lot of the controller issues that have uh, been problematic for Stadia and Xbox Game Pass and trying to move these PC and console titles uh, to, the, uh, to the phone um on the other hand uh one of the things we talked about last week was the ability for Netflix to leverage its uh, near ubiquitous app uh and in in its uh, clarification this week it seems like uh it's going to take some time before they get around to uh a lot of the platforms that uh where where their app is established today so uh particularly because they're entering relatively late, uh, and particularly because we really haven't seen uh, a lot of direct competition for Apple Arcade in terms of a mobile-first focus. Uh, they're, um, they're, they're taking a, a very different approach uh, than, than we've seen from a lot of the cloud gaming providers. Uh, so we'll you know see if, if that pays off and how they can move it to other platforms eventually.
0: I think it makes a lot of sense because I think they have the demographic on the platform that will take advantage of games. You think of Stranger Things and the audience there, they clearly have the opportunity to expand gaming with respect to some of their original content. So there could be some really interesting tie-ins for some of those things. They've already done a little bit of that, but this will expand that and it will expand it in their platform. So I think there's some really interesting opportunities for them. We'll see where, where that goes. Yeah, excellent point
1: regarding the IP and, and franchise opportunities.
0: That's a great place to end uh, this week's episode of Techspansive. Thanks again for joining. I am Sean Dubravac. You can find me on Twitter at Sean Dubravac. And I'm Ross Rubin. You can find me on Twitter at Ross
1: Rubin. Thank you for listening.